We're very excited to start today's Southeast Asia Connect webinar. Um, so while the last ones are triggering in, let's get uh, started. Just a reminder, please leave your questions in the Q&A section and we'll try to answer as many as possible during today's session or maybe even afterwards. Um, and we have a few polls uh, and uh, we are very excited about uh, the show today. Uh, Chris, you all ready to start rock and rolling? Yes, it's just wonderful to actually do this uh, for the first time. We've been talking about it for quite a while and um, a couple of things around some of our prizes. So the person that asks the best question uh, will get selected and we'll get a, a joint uh, consultation with Lars and myself. Uh, in addition, uh, we, we would be uh, translating this into Mandarin. So this is actually going to be one of the few webinars that uh, would reach the Chinese market in Mandarin as well. Fantastic. Good. So um, let's just uh, keep, uh, keep nobody waiting any further and let's, let's get started. Welcome to Southeast Asia Connect. This webinar and podcast series is for founders and investors um, and people interested in the Southeast Asia startup ecosystem, where we're connecting Southeast Asian ecosystem players with the world. The series is brought to you by Precious Communications and Northridge Partners. Uh, together, we've worked with hundreds of startups, VCs, uh, and other funding vehicles in the region and beyond. We have some fantastic guests today to talk uh, with us. Uh, my name is Lars Fudisch. I started Precious Communications. I'm the co-host, um, economist by, by studies, but uh, startup lover by, by, by passion. Um, and worked with over 300 startups um, and supported over $10 billion of uh, M&A activities from a PR and communications point of view. The real money man is, is Chris. <laughs> So my name is Chris Tran. I'm the head of Northridge Partners. We're based in Singapore, but cover the region. We work with technology entrepreneurs all across Southeast Asia to raise capital, grow their companies, and at the right time exit. So we're, we're just simply delighted to provide this program today. We're aiming to do three things in terms of all of our webinar series. And that's number one, to showcase some of the best entrepreneurs and the wonderful startups that they're building. Two is to basically show them the money. Uh, so who is investing right now? How do you get in touch with them? Uh, how do you make sure that your messaging is right on so that you can actually make those connections? And then three, just to declutter, you know, some of the noise out there. So uh, grow to learn, you know, uh, let's, let's work out what is really actionable. How can you uh, listen to some of these uh, 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 shows that we have and make sure that you walk away with something quite tangible? Good. And we're kicking it off with today's topics. And today's topics is looking into, I think everybody has an opinion on that. It's crisis time. And every crisis uh, produces winners. And some of today's uh, giants in the space are actually yesterday's survivors. If you look at Amazon or PayPal, uh, whose destiny was forged during the crash of 99.com bubble, or Alibaba after 2008, um, or today we know Zoom and Netflix seem to be some of the big winners. Um, but if I say winners, of course, COVID is a massive tragedy uh, for health, for economies, for small businesses. So when we use the term COVID winners and losers, it's really about the business opportunity out there um, and how you deal with that, with the situation. Are you passive? Are you, are you grab, grabbing the opportunity 
um, and, and really making the best of it. We have fantastic panelists to share with us their point of view uh, from the money side, from the startup side. Um, and we're looking into who will be the winners, what are the trends deciding who's on the winning side, and uh, what, what are the winners doing differently? So that we also can learn how can we adjust and be on the winning side of, this, of these very, very interesting times. So who are we spending time with today, Chris? Wonderful. So uh, I'm just simply delighted to introduce Nicholas of Cathay Innovation, and he comes from the money side, having recently raised $550 million for his fund, and also Andrew, CEO of Busy. So Nicholas, uh, if you don't mind a little bit of an intro of both Cathay and then yourself, please. Certainly. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Chris. So uh, I represent Cat Innovation. We are a global investment platform. Uh, so we do venture capital and also private equity investment uh, through our affiliate Catech Capital Group. Um, so we're based in the US, in Europe, in China, and now in Southeast Asia. We typically invest at the Series B and Series C uh, stage of uh, the company. And um, we have the particularity of being invested by a number of large uh, Fortune 500 companies. So we help them work with startups and understand what's happening in the world of startups, the innovation coming from startups. Um, so we, we, we just opened our Singapore office and we started to invest in the region. And uh, I'm really thrilled to, to be here uh, to, to, to provide some of the feeling, initial feelings we have about Southeast Asia. Wonderful, and Andrew, Excellent to have you here today. So uh, just a bit of a background on yourself and uh, can you talk to us uh, on Busy? Introduce us to Busy. Yeah, thanks Chris. Welcome everyone. Thanks for taking the time joining the, uh, the webinar. So uh, my name is Andrew, CEO and co-founder of uh, Busy. So Busy is actually an integrated end-to-end -end, uh, digital supply chain platform, uh, essentially serving brands on the supply side. And on the demand side, we serve the MSME retailers who represent 60% uh, of GDP and employs more than 90% of uh, labor force in Indonesia. So essentially our platform connects, allows brands to connect directly to MSME retailers while allowing this MSME retailers with better economic outcome through transparent commerce. Uh, a little bit bigger than myself, I started uh, my career in uh, sell-side advisory before moving to the buy side and then um, and essentially to the real sector at uh, Jakarta with uh, Astra International. I uh, was there for two years before uh, uh, making the plunge into uh, tech startup. Uh, I was actually one of the founding members of mbiz.co.id, which is a B2B e-commerce e-procurement platform. Uh, so now I've been part of Busy since 2017. So actually today marked exactly three years as part of Busy. Fantastic. And, and to get everybody busy, we are starting a poll right away. So we can just launch the poll to get a little bit of an idea. What's the, what's the feeling? How long will the impact of COVID-19 last? Uh, that's a lot of discussions we have all the time, right? Do we have the sharp V-shape recovery in uh, Q3 onwards? Is it the, the slower one? And Singapore, for example, will only come out in 2021. What's the new normal? So a quick question. How long will the impact of COVID-19 last? Six months? nine months or forever. Unfortunately, I can't vote, but I can talk about it. So if we can just uh, quickly get our uh, distinguished guests to uh, share their um, thoughts about that. Um, hopefully not forever. I mean, it will change things, 
Um, and that comes to the point that we'll also touch on today a little bit, Chris, right? What's the new normal like? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So first, uh, you know, the man of the hour, uh, Nicholas, congratulations again on the amazing $550 million raise. You've been busy uh, in addition to raising money and making, uh, if I understand correctly, your first two new investments in Southeast Asia. Uh, you've also got uh, some thoughts around the impact of COVID-19 uh, you know, in a uh, presentation that's titled COVID-19 in Southeast Asia, also a digital acceleration for a sustainable leapfrog. And in there uh, are some thoughts around your firm views in terms of some of the businesses uh, to watch out for. Uh, and, and really, my opening question is, what made you create the report? I guess come up with sort of some thoughts on the, on, on the sector. What were the motivations to, uh, uh, to, to, to produce it? Well, we, we're, new, we're new here, so we're really trying to do our homework. Um, we, we're trying to, to, to get a feel about the opportunities uh, that the digital economy is, uh, is, is, uh, is creating in the region. And uh, actually, we're very excited. Um, we're excited because um, we feel Southeast Asia is at the confluence of um, influence of two large technology uh, trends. You know, we have the influence of China and the influence of Silicon Valley. We see entrepreneurs who have some more like China background, some entrepreneurs who have more Silicon Valley background. And we have all of this fusion of ideas happening in one, in one region. And we find this very, very exciting. Uh, so we wanted to take a look a little bit at, uh, at uh, what's happening in order to, to, to better uh, as, uh, prepare our value proposition to, to the ecosystem. And if I may, I'd like to, I'd like to, to emphasize one word in, in this title, is, is the word leapfrog. I think mm -hmm. in Southeast Asia, we are, we, are, we are leapfrogging to next generation technology and business models. Um, and to us, that's an opportunity for accelerated digitalization and more business opportunities for entrepreneurs. And, and it's quite interesting because uh, we talk about your new, but um, in terms of your background, uh, you just spent the best part of a decade in Shanghai, haven't you? And you recently moved to Singapore last year. Yeah, I did all my career in China and I'm, and I'm privileged to have been an investor in China for 10 years now. Um, and, and I have been a witness of, of uh, the explosion of the tech sector in China. Uh, back 10, 15 years ago, there was really not much of uh, Tencent or Alibaba, right? And since, since then, they grew to, to what they are today. Um, so we are uh, using this, uh, this knowledge uh, out of China, but also out of Europe, outside of, out of uh, the US, to try to determine the big global trends uh, in technology. And, and, and we believe these trends will apply to emerging markets as well, and starting with Southeast Asia in particular. Um, and uh, to, to look back to what I was saying, innovation is inspired by Silicon Valley, innovation is inspired by China, but we have new models that are being, being built here. Um, and uh, uh, because uh, you know, access to technology is, imp is improving very fast, you know, access to smartphone, to mobile internet and so on, uh, users can actually get online and use the latest technology and services. And that's very exciting because uh, we can leverage all this know-how from other regions in the world to, to, to get directly to the best business model, to the best technology in order to better serve the clients. So I think I already know the answer, but uh, 
on the basis that VC funding is uh, a longer term horizon, is now really a good time to invest? Uh, so no doubt about it. Um, the, the fact is uh, at this time, um, we, we will see the best companies will actually thrive and, and the bad companies will die. Um, and I think it's our job as investment professional to, to identify the best companies and the best entrepreneurs and invest in them and support them through the crisis. Um, and maybe unfortunately let the, the, the not as good entrepreneurs and companies uh, go out of business. Um, and, um, and actually a lot of the, the, the large unicorns, decacons of the world, as, as Lars was saying earlier, were created at the time of crisis. Uh, same thing is, is going to happen during this crisis. Um, we, we're very lucky also because we are right where we need to be in terms of uh, a fundraising cycle, right? So as, as you mentioned, we, we, we're finalizing the, the, the fundraiser for fund two, it's a sizable fund. And we are ready to deploy this capital in the region and elsewhere in the world. Um, and maybe not all funds actually are at this stage where, you know, at the end of fundraising, ready to deploy. Um, and, you know, the VC funds typically 10 to 12 years long, right? So investment period would be four to five years. So we have uh, like probably a few more years after the crisis to invest as well. Um, so uh, I would say right now, uh, because it will be a situation of the survival of the fittest, it's a great time to have capital to invest and to invest. Fantastic. So what we'll do later on, uh, Nicholas, is just ask questions around how do we get your attention? How do the startups actually, uh, you know, what you're looking for and how to make sure that the startups can engage with you. Now, the other man of the hour, of course, is my friend, Andrew. And Andrew, from a startup point of view, and of course, you're the man of the hour because a whole bunch of Indonesians wouldn't get their Coca-Cola, toilet paper and daily necessities without your business. So what do you see really happening here from a operational point of view? Has COVID really changed anything or do you agree in terms of the theme around acceleration, uh, leapfrogging that has been highlighted in some of Cathay's work? Yeah. Uh... Chris, actually, I would, I would tend to agree with your overall statement there. So I think, let me just elaborate a little bit more. So even before COVID, it is actually inevitable that digitization and supply chain and also development of B2B commerce in Asia is set to rise because essentially we're coming from such a low base. Now, just to give you, um, uh, just to give you um, a, little bit, a little bit of um, uh, macro high-level metrics just to uh, paint the picture, if you looked at Indonesia's B2B e-commerce uh, as percentage of total sh- share of uh, e-commerce activity in the country, we stand at 43%. So essentially that's significantly below uh, compared to other comparable markets such as China and India uh, at uh, 70% and 90% respectively. And um, another, another, another st- macro stats, uh, just to paint a picture of the low base in which we're coming from is the fact that B2B e-commerce as a uh, contribution to overall GDP is only mere 1% compared to the likes of, again, China and India at uh, at least 20, 24%. So again, even before COVID is inevitable. Now with COVID, it actually fast forward that inevitability. So what COVID does essentially the two key disruptions that it brings uh, to the economy. One is the social distancing. Second is the lockdown. Now, social distancing essentially forces 
that digitization or accelerates the digitization supply chain uh, because of redirection of uh, inventory purchases from offline to online. We see that FMCG retailers, especially the, the, those located in the general trade segment or the MSMEs, are actually becoming less inclined or they're trying to minimize the interaction with salesmen. So hence, they, they, they don't have any other means to purchase their inventory or procure their inventory other than the online means. Uh, so one, social distancing forces that uh, acceleration and digitization. Number two is the lockdown. Essentially reinforces the impact of that uh, social distancing. So in Indonesia, there's three to five million uh, number of MSME retailers. We see increasing number of uh, certain type of profile of stores or retailers start to close down, especially those that are located in the more clustered traditional wet market setting. But because of the staple nature of the FMCG vertical in which we're in, there's still a substantial amount of stores located in less clustered areas, such as roadside and alleyways, remain open. Now, these stores remain open, actually enjoy, uh, uh, had a very positive digital experience out of the forced adoption of digital mean of buying. Why? Because one, through online, they're able to uh, conveniently procure the inventory. Second, able to discover more products through the online catalog. They can, they can browse the product at their, uh, at their own leisure. And third, more importantly, cheaper price. Why cheaper? Because now they don't have to interact with salesmen. So then there's a cost savings attributed, uh, that is attributed to, to the fact that salesman is, is absent. So uh, yeah, those are, those are the things that we've seen in the past two months or three months. You know, Lars, it's quite interesting when we look at some of these B2B models. Uh, everyone talks about e-commerce being a winner. Uh, but when you look at B2C, typically a lot of trust and, you know, a lot of getting people on board has been uh, through a lot of discounts and financial incentives. I guess what has really happened in Andrew's business is, you know, Andrew, you're getting a lot of people that are just forced to use you because there's no choice and you're building trust by being there and enabling them to transact and enabling your ultimate end user to get uh, what they need during this time. So uh, that's, it's quite an interesting change. Nicholas, uh, back to you. If we think about previous cycles and when we had 1999, it was when Microsoft, Amazon came out stronger. That was probably the genesis of the broader platform economy, um, looking at the creation of these networks, right? And then when we look at 2008, uh, it was around no longer owning assets, being asset light, uh, utility being very important. And how can we grab access to things without having to pay for it? It was, it was, it was a, it was a post 2008 thing where it was around utility and better affordability and fractional sort of ownership utility. Now we're in 2020. Are there specific themes that you're seeing around this particular downturn and which internet-driven uh, businesses that would come out stronger? Uh, certainly. I think actually we're seeing, uh, we're observing a, a massive change in behavior. Um, and, and actually this change in behavior is going to hurt some industries a lot and they're going to benefit some, some other industries very much. Um, you know, we, now we, we're all working from home, we're learning from home, we're buying from home rather than going to a physical place. Um, so the way we, we entertain ourselves, the way we educate ourselves, the way we consume, all of this is changing. Um, 
so of course, there's sectors that are benefits. Where we talked about Zoom, you know, they move from. I mean, the, the daily active users uh, uh, grew from 10 million in December to 300 million now. So, um, and 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 you see like Twitter, uh, like Jack Jack Dorsey, uh, telling that everybody can from Twitter who works at Twitter can work from home from now on forever. Um, that's that's a massive massive paradigm paradigm shift, right? Um, so all of this, you know, we're going to have an increase in collaborative tools, CRM tools, digitization, and I completely, uh, completely uh, um, uh, agree with Andrew, you know, about uh, the, the impact on lockdown, of lockdown and distancing, social distancing on, on, on retail, but also on supply chain and so on. Um, so I'd like to, to, to me, actually, what's going to happen is beyond digitization, because as Andrew was saying, digitization is happening. It has been happening before COVID, and the trend is here. However, I think now we're going to see uh, um, the necessity to, 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 to use advanced technologies uh, to improve operations uh, even more. Uh, what do I mean by that? Um, actually, I believe that technology like artificial intelligence, for example, once you have the foundation for digitization, you digitalize your process, you, you collect data, then you can use algorithms and artificial intelligence to, to improve your, a lot of businesses. Um, give you two examples, right? So uh, healthcare. So obviously healthcare will benefit, right? I mean, people are sick, unfortunately, um, and need to be, to be, uh, to be, uh, to be cured. Uh, so we have telemedicine, and so, which is the first layer, like digi digitization for, for, this, for the industry. But there's also a whole new world that is being actually uh, created around creating a, um, like finding a solution for the, for the virus, like finding a cure, uh, finding a vaccine. And you see more and more of the pharma companies, the healthcare providers and the startups, in particular startups that develop artificial intelligence working together to try to find a solution to, to, solve that, uh, to, to cure the virus. And I think we're gonna see a whole new world of uh, AI startups that are going to appear to, to in the healthcare sector. And I think Singapore, as a matter of fact, is very well positioned for that. Um, I'll give you another example about education. Clearly, you know, we, we, we do classes online. Um, and, and actually, you know, back in China, education has been a very hot sector for, for quite a while already. Um, billion dollar companies, decacons, you know, ed tech space. Uh, but as a, as a matter of fact, education has a, has a scaling problem. Um, you, you, the more users or students you have, the more professors you need to have, and then the user, the user experience is not that great. Actually, you can use artificial intelligence to, be, to, to get rid or, let's say, to, to avoid the need to have too many professors. You can have algorithms that will listen to the students, automatically correct the students, and, and, uh, and help the, the student progress automatically without any human intervention. And uh, in, in, in that aspect, AI can really supplement or replace a professor, as is particularly true for languages. And we see many companies like that already appearing. Um, so to me, beyond digitization, there's a whole additional layer of automation and artificial intelligence that, 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 uh, that, that is appearing and that is actually catalyzed by this uh, crisis. Thank Thanks you. a lot, Nicholas. Yep. Uh, really, digitization is just skimming the surface, isn't it? Apologies, Lars. Uh, just a quick reminder for everybody to uh, please post your questions in the Q&A function and upvote those that you want to uh, more urgently see answered. Yeah, um, Nicholas, you just spoke about uh, China briefly and you spent, spent a decade there. So uh, China is at the forefront of the recovery journey. 
uh, everybody sees that. So, so what can we what can we see there from from China's recovery journey? And does it also mean that um, China will be more focused inwards because they all want to get their their act together internally, or will will Chinese players be more aggressive than ever while the world outside is still stumbling to to find their their new baseline? Well, last, you know, China is back to business and China is very hungry. I mean, there, there, there's many things happening in China. As a matter of fact, China is suffering a lot from the, from the crisis as well. Um, you know, there's probably 25 million, maybe 50 million people who, have, who will have lost their job through the crisis. Um, I mean, we don't really have the, 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 the data, but uh, uh, just thinking about white collars that probably represent 25 million people, then you have just the millions, tens of millions of workers whose factories actually are not going to be able to run to capacity because of the collapse of global demand. Um, so China is going, to, um, is going to actually implement uh, an economic stimulus. I mean, we, we probably we will see uh, be announced at, the, at the, the big meeting with the parliament, the legislature, a week uh, or 10 days from now. And, and we expect China actually to, to launch, to announce uh, an economic stimulus. Um, and in the past, every time China faced an economic crisis, there is a try to launch, to relaunch growth through investment. Um, so they build highways, they build, uh, they build airports, uh, they, they build, uh, they build uh, fast train and so on. Um, okay. But the, so, so this, this time actually there's going to be something else. Um, so with what's happening regarding to trade tensions and uh, the, the very important uh, willingness of China to develop uh, indigenous technologies, uh, we're going to see a lot more investment in technology development and deep tech. Uh, China is, has even launched uh, like a, a, a big program called China Standards uh, 2035 that aims to create, you know, the technologies of the future in China. Uh, so that means behind that there's going to be massive amount of capital from, from the, the different kind of institutions, which will attract entrepreneurs because there's a market, there's, a, there's a, uh, basically the, the government who's buying or the ecosystem who's buying, and who's gonna have a, an accelerated actually willingness to develop technologies in China. So okay. what does that mean? We're gonna see definitely a lot more, um, let's say opposition between China and the US, which we started to see with straight tension, but it can get even worse. And, uh, but China has the capability to, to, to scale, um, to scale actually its ability to develop uh, innovation. Um, so there is some, some, some I mean, there, there is some tendency certainly for in the future for China to look inwards because domestic consumption actually is helping uh, more, uh, more of the product to be consumed locally. So maybe less, less dependency on export. But also, we also see uh, some willingness of the MNCs to delocalize or relocalize outside of China. And I think okay. there's an opportunity for South Asia here to, to maybe build factories and with systems about Apple uh, going to Vietnam and, uh, uh, and so on, right? So Vietnam in particular is well positioned for that. Um, I would Nick, say, Nick, yes. Nick, Nick um, um, uh, as, we, as we move on oh, from China to other, other markets, Chris, you wanted to, wanted to jump in. Uh, yeah, sure. So, uh, Nicholas, thanks for your perspectives. Uh, very good to have the global perspective. And also, um, there's significant uh, Fortune 500 French brand names as LPs, such as Valio, Michelin, L'Oreal. And as I understand, you know, one of the things that you do a lot in your fund is partner up with um, a lot of the, you know, 
country perspectives, but also the corporates to come to come to the viewpoints that you have. So very interesting to hear. And uh, we certainly take away the message that digitization is just, you know, skimming the surface. There's multiple layers and, and a layer in terms of technology and geography. So uh, very, very interesting. Andrew, in terms of when, you know, there's quite a few webinars uh, out there. Uh, SASTA went fully online for the first time. And there's a uh, everyone, a uh, sense of everyone's talking about cutting costs, preserving cash, pivoting, bringing forward revenue. Uh, I, I mean, you know, fundamentally, if you've got a limited runway and maybe you're in the wrong industry altogether, right? Like travel, for example. I mean, do you really have a chance? And can you tell us, something beyond, you know, cost cutting, <laughs> pivoting, blah, 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 that, 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 that you can do to really, uh, you know, make a fist of coming out the other side of this crisis? Uh, that's a tough one. <laughs> but, uh, uh, so essentially, um, let me address that, uh, the, the question in three parts. Uh, so one is actually, you need to act fast. Act fast will get you relevant. And the fact that you're fast, you're relevant, kind of gives you the, that impetus to be able to monetize from a perspective of a platform. So what do you mean by that? So number one is acting fast. So obviously this is about survival, right? You need to quick to adapt uh, to be one of those last men standing that uh, you're there when uh, everyone else is gone to uh, take the opportunity. And then obviously one of the mindset that we, uh, that, that we, that we did go about it in back in step is obviously we plan for the worst and hope for the best and meaning including taking a very drastic measure. Uh, again, acting fast to adapt essentially gives you the, into a best position to survive. And um, in our case, just to give you a concrete example, um, essentially back in Feb, we cut our total uh, OPEX by 30%. And uh, so that, that essentially puts us in a comfortable position uh, going forward. Now, the fact that you're, 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 you're survived, you're there, you're around, essentially you become relevant for uh, your customer, both on the supply side, brand, and the demand side, the MSME retailers. The fact that you're still there serving, uh, serving, serving your customers, it actually increases the, your attractiveness to the wider audience of brands and retailers beyond your current ecosystem. Uh, so again, I can faster survive, being relevant, actually be able, uh, gives you that, that, that driver to monetize. So um, I think the fact that we, we, we were able to minimize the disruption in the platform, but as well as the offline partner we, that we work uh, with uh, in our platform, uh, the past month or two months, we we're actually able to, to, to obviously uh, develop our business and uh, partner with leading MNC's brands, such as Coca-Cola and Reckitt uh, Benkeser. Uh, essentially, we're appointed as the uh, Indonesia first digital uh, distribution partner nationwide for, for them. Essentially, uh, the, distributing their beverage product as well as healthcare and uh, home hygiene uh, through digital means. And uh, that essentially minimizing or if not uh, uh, avoiding the disruption with their incumbent other distribution partners. So essentially by and large, acting fast, be relevant and monetize essentially enable us to, to, to build trust from, uh, from stakeholders of our ecosystem. And uh, essentially this is the foundation in which we're looking to build upon going forward as we envision that uh, B2B commerce is poised to growth and we want to be a protagonist there. Okay. 
Fantastic. So uh, we, we touched briefly on Indonesia and, and, and Nick, you just were, were about to, to uh, talk about uh, Vietnam. We have a few questions on who are the uh, Southeast Asia countries to, to come out as winners uh, out of this situation. So uh, Nick, what's, what's your take on, on Vietnam um, and how they're coming and their startup ecosystem is coming out of this situation? Yeah, so, so I mean, first Vietnam um, reacted very quickly and very well when, uh, when the virus appeared. So I was always still in lockdown. Um, uh, the cases are much less than, than many other countries. And, uh, and, uh, and, and it's good because it means the country can bounce back faster uh, post-crisis. Um, Vietnam is a very exciting market uh, for, for several reasons. So first, actually, uh, there will be a shift of manufacturing into Vietnam from China in particular. So that's a great opportunity to create an ecosystem of, uh, you know, either phone makers or, or chip makers. And, and, and usually when you have big players like that behind, you have entrepreneurs who create businesses around these technologies. Um, so that's one thing. Second, actually, Vietnam has a, has a long history of entrepreneurship and uh, and. Uh, and I would say a, a very good pool of talents, uh, developers and so on. So I think all of the, the right comp the ingredients are, are present in Vietnam to create a very exciting startup ecosystem for the, for the, for the coming few years. Okay, fan fantastic. Um, let, let's do a quick speed round between Andrew and, and, and Nicholas. I'll, I'll just throw a choice to you and you just give me a quick answer um, and, and just a, a few words why. Uh, so, growth countries to focus on, Indonesia or Vietnam? And I would be surprised if you say anything else than Indonesia, but why? Wait, sorry, that's for me? Yeah, so just, just uh, one sentence. Why is Indonesia the big winner over Vietnam? Well, obviously, uh, you know, just, just stating the most obvious, it's the, uh, the uh, size of population, demographics, and the fact that we're we're almost at the J curve in terms of uh, digital adoption. Okay, cool. Uh, Nick, same. Indonesia over Vietnam is the best bet. Uh, can I say both? Actually, I think both are interesting. This different dynamics. Um, consumer internet, uh, definitely Indonesia. A little bit of more deep tech and maybe more B two B stuff. I would say Vietnam. It depends okay. what you're looking to to do. Um, Q3 focus for startups, optimize or invest in growth already? Who wanna go first? Optimize. Optimize. Yeah. Same, optimize. optimize. Yeah. Um, yeah, earnings, profitability over growth and market share. Okay. Um, EduTech or health tech? Um, to me, health tech is more fundamental. Uh, people, kids are gonna go back to school. Um, there, there is a lot of content available. Uh, the health is about uh, helping people and, and saving people, saving life. And the virus is here to stay for a while, unfortunately. Uh, so I think health tech. Okay. Andrew, same? Yeah. Okay. And um, where's more investor money now coming from? Uh, China or India? Uh, I, I think that would be China. Um, yeah. There's a massive amount of capital coming up from China that are looking for a destination. Um, okay, um, so um, when, when, when are we seeing the next Southeast Asia unicorn coming? And which country is it coming from? Or the next few? Any bets? I'm not nailing you down on names. So 
most likely Indonesia, a size of the market, uh, the dynamism of the consumer internet sector, um, maybe something around around uh, fintech. Okay. Indonesia, place to be, Andrew, lucky man. <laughs> uh, we have a lot of great questions. Uh, the poll earlier said uh, on how long will the impact of COVID last? Um, over 50% said uh, nine months, uh, one third is forever. I think one, one third forever is the really the new normal, but it's, it's nine months. Um, so just wrapping this segment up. So when is the, the right time to shift from optimize and manage to lead and invest into the next phase of growth? Is nine months, does it mean Q1, Q2 next year? Do we have to wait that long? Nicholas? Well, I think actually um, before the virus, we broke something, right? We broke the model a little bit uh, with what happened with some uh, completely insane uh, valuation of startups and, and why they were burning crazy cash. So uh, on the top of this crisis happening, we will see a lot more rationality into everything, into the operation, the focus on unit economics. Um, and uh, since the virus is probably here to stay for quite a while, uh, I think there will be a lot of focus on, on, on profitability, exactly like Andrew said. Um, and uh, and we see maybe there's going to be another wave of uh, a flow of capital coming from quantitative easings all over the world to relaunch the economy. And that, would, that may create another bubble, but for now, that would be the focus. Okay. Andrew, agree? Yeah, so I think, look, um, I mean, if I, if I were to address that, uh, that, that, that question in the context of uh, Indonesia specifically, uh, I think for us, the government will start phasing out the, uh, or start easing the, the lockdowns and social distancing starting from next month. And uh, they go by two to three week uh, 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 offset. Now, um, knowing that, I think we expect that um, uh, things will eventually start uh, start to recover um, in Q3, end of Q3, and going to Q4 onwards. So with that, obviously the, the, the fundamental focus still remains on revenue, earnings, profitability, but we, but we need to start uh, augmenting that initiative with, uh, with a certain degree of proportion of growth anticipating Q4 into the Q1 next year. Okay, fantastic. So. Um, we heard a little bit, and I think we can, can learn even more about uh, what makes winners. And uh, I think we have to uh, um, find a little bit more out on that. Um, but uh, we have fantastic questions here. So I think uh, we'll, we'll start with a few questions. Uh, Chris, you want to wanna kick it off on the Q&A part? You're on mute. Ah. Still. Okay. Uh, well, Chris, you're back Nicholas. again. Nicholas, I'm back. Okay, great. So um, overwhelmingly, uh, and, and you know, you 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 gave us a, an amazing answer during rehearsal, which I I hope we can hear again. <laughs> but uh, to to get a, a, attention, uh, your attention, and uh, you know, uh, what are you looking for from uh, founders and anyone that uh, pitches it to you at the moment? <laughs> are you looking for pitching, or you're looking for something else? Well, right now, yeah, I'm not, I don't want to be pitched. I want, I want to be reassured um, because I have a very clear idea of what I'm looking for in terms of uh, project technologies, products, strategies. Uh, so today, my main focus will be the execution capability of the team and the robustness of the business model and also the, the resilience of the team in front of 
of adversity. Um, and actually, that's very hard to do to really assess this because it's really soft, uh, soft kind of uh, skill. But um, um, I mean, marketing is great. Uh, but I've seen, uh, I'm lucky because I've, I've been through some crises before, right? I started to invest uh, during the last uh, great financial crisis. So um, I, I think uh, right now people will be, uh, will be the, the most important parameter. Fantastic. Um, and, and that brings us to, uh, I think, the top question right now already there from uh, Joseph De Leon. Any guidelines on choosing whether to double down or let go of an investment as a result of the crisis? Many parameters, I'd say, are they really in a dead end kind of sector? Uh, because some sectors, they will take forever to recover. Um, or is it something they can do to pivot or, or change the business a little bit or maybe grab a new opportunities? And do they, does the team have the flexibility to do that? Um, uh, with, you know, unique economics that makes sense. Um, is there some, uh, some uh, you know, is it more like tradition, like more classic uh, consumer internet thing with a few barriers to entry versus something with some intellectual property you can actually protect and, and use to, to build something else? Um, so no clear cut answers. I think there's really a matrix of, of parameters that we use. Uh, to see, uh, but in the end, you know, if it's about uh, refinancing or, or providing more capital to a startups, we usually don't do it ourselves. It's a syndicate of investors who come together. I mean, there's a, a common agreement by the syndicate that the company is worth saving. Okay, good. Chris, you want to do the next one? Yes, uh, I've got another question uh, from the audience and it's from Andrew. Uh, Andrew, you, you work in a seemingly uh, complex sector with a lot of players in the broad B2B, e-commerce, logistics, supply chain space. Uh, given so many players, some of them have received significant amount of funding. What's your strategy for succeeding mm. at Busy? Okay, uh, okay so... Um... So let me comment. So actually, the segment that we're in uh, essentially is big enough uh, for others, and that's a massive understatement. Uh, just to pin you, um, just to back that statement is, uh, you know, based on publicly available information out there, it is estimated we have three to five million MSME retailers in Indonesia dispersed, dispersed throughout 17,000 islands. Right. Now, you take example one of the uh, one of the leading FMCG brands with the biggest reach to those retailers, i.e. cigarettes. At most, they cover 25% of these retailers. So uh, essentially, there's 75% up for grabs, and uh, that tells you that there's a significant number of retailers, and as well as brands, that have yet to uh, jump to the digitization bandwagon. Uh, next is, obviously, the sector is, uh, it has a shorter term, uh, shorter path to profitability, uh, I think, Quoting one of the again public available information right there by Macquarie's, uh, without knowing the detail of the of the company operation, but there's a matchmaking platform in India, India Mart, uh, subscription revenue which is not even tied to GMV, book almost 90 million, 23% EBITDA margin, positive net income, and cash from operations. So I think it's it's the sector is big enough, it's profitable. So I think how we looking how we're looking at tackling this particular sector is three things essentially. One is the end-to-end -end integration with offline operation. Second, 
uh, uh, Nick touched upon it um, uh, uh, earlier, which is essentially the surface of this whole digitization, is the backend automation. Uh, third is the ecosystem-based business model that, 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 that we have. So the end-to-end -end integration with offline operation, essentially it's, it's, um, it's our holistic way of looking that for you to be able to, to address the supply chain problems, it's not merely just having a platform and portal or application that enables, enables you to order placing and order taking. You need to be able to empower all the stakeholders in the supply chain, i.e. The, the warehouse operators, the, fin the financial processing that's happening in the background, uh, you know, in the, in the back end side of the uh, distributors. And then the delivery operations, the fleet managers, and the more important thing is Salesforce. Why Salesforce is, is, is still relevant? Because obviously in the, in the context of, 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 the, of the nascent na nature of our B2B, uh, sometimes a physical touch point still there and still matters. And for us to be able to get there without, while minimizing disruptions is being able to empower the salesmen to still sell their product, but then capture it through digital means. Next is the backend automation, right? So yeah, you know, order taking great, order placing great, but what's the value add for distributors, uh, you know, in terms of efficiency. So you need to be able to have a platform that, that essentially addresses that automation that delivers, um, I think, uh, the, uh, giving a concrete example uh, on the platform, we are able to actually deliver up to 50% automation on certain backend transaction processing. Yeah. Last is the ecosystem business, uh, ecosystem based business model. So essentially our, our strategy is one end to end integration with offline. Second is backend automation. Third is ecosystem based business model. Now this is very important because if you look at the constituencies of our ecosystem, right, it goes beyond just the brands and the MSME retailers. Hmm. There are other constituencies that are important, such as the third party logistics players that are, have the B2B capability. Second is the digital wallet players, likes of uh, be able to partner with Go, GoPay, Ovo, Dana, and more importantly, the, our SOE's own Link Aja uh, to facilitate our drive into cashless uh, transaction because predomin predominantly currently the way the B2B supply chain for FMCG uh, uh, method of payment that's prevalent is actually cash-based. And last is the, the important constituencies that we're looking to extend uh, our ecosystem to is the MSME-friendly financial institution. Uh, I would emphasize, uh, emphasize on the MSME-friendly because obviously we, do, you know, we want to be able to extend a competitive financing to these retailers for working capital without actually killing them. So this whole ecosystem base actually allows us to, to, to be able to realize avenues for monetization beyond just one. And, so again, and, those, those how we looked at it. And Andrew, you are the, you're the logistics and supply chain expert. One question here from uh, Daryl um, is around, uh, we have, there's a massive go at uh, e-commerce and e-commerce needs delivery, supply chains, right? So there's a, there's a lot of um, uh, pressure on, on last mile delivery startups but, but to build infrastructure costs money. So, um, um, and, and maybe that's also related to, to Nick and Andrew at the same time, maybe with a quick answer. Um, how can you scale logistics and supply chain startups without massive investments? Is there, is there that magic kind of uh, economies of scale tipping point where you, you don't, it, it's not just the same and you just need massive money to cover, for example, 100% of Indonesia? I want to go. <laughs> uh, so let me uh, let me have a go at that. 
So I think in the context of as, uh, of, of busy, our um, our last mile is uh, so-called B2B last mile, meaning meaning the from the distributor warehouse all the way all the way to retailers. Now um, you looked at. Let's go back to the macro picture, right? Um, you know, 24% uh, of our GDP, which is 240 billion uh, of the GDP actually came from logistics spend. Now, if you dissect this 240 billion further, there, there are two uh, essentially uh, high level buckets of this 240 billion. 80% of the 240 billion of logistics spend came, came from privately owned fleet, while the remaining 20 to 30% came from the third party logistics. I think the question is why. I think for the longest time, 3PLs in Indonesia obviously suffered due to uh, you know you know all this accumulation of years of underinvestment. So hence it affects their 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 SLA reliability and so forth. So for companies, be it MSMEs, you know, all the way to uh, enterprises more so, they actually for them if they have the means, they would rather build their own infrastructure network, be it warehouses and fleet. So then the resulting is they're actually a vast network of warehouses and trucks that, uh, that are very fragmented and underutilized. So then the question is, I think the key is, as opposed to building one, why don't you empower the existing privately owned fleet? Because that's where the massive underutilization exists. Now, just to give you uh, another example on, on, on the last mile from the context of B2B, right? I think uh, the, the way we do uh, B2B delivery is what we call milk runs. So meaning that every day we would have a given route on a given sequence to deliver to up to 30 to 40 stores. So then obviously we, we uh, you know, the, the, the truck drivers would go out with a, with a full truck load, sharing all that cost across the 30, 40 stores. So that, that efficiency play that's happening in offline, there's no way any online players will be able to replace that anytime soon. That efficiency okay. being built 20, 30 years. The logistics spend as percentage of the uh, transaction order in our platform, accounts at most 2% versus, okay. yeah. Thank you. Um, question, question from Leslie uh, Schaffer. Do you expect food tech investment to get a boost from food security concerns after the pandemic disrupted supply chains? Nick, you want to have a go at that? Um, yes, I think the whole, um, so there's the pure like food tech, um, you know, kind of, uh, uh, inventing new 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 protein for example which is a big sub subject um, and there's also um, great opportunity around the farm to market uh, kind of sector um, I believe actually that uh, uh, so food security for from the perspective of countries is very important so we're going to also see things around herbal farming and so on so that, to me these are very interesting um, subjects um, and uh, uh, but they're, they're, they're not super easily investable. Um, it depends on, on what they are, but some of them are pretty capex intensive. Some of them are actually facing a very fragmented sector, like uh, if you work with agriculture, agriculture uh, like farmers in Indonesia. Um, but that's definitely subject of interest uh, for us. Good, fantastic. Um, so as, as we are already uh, coming to an end, we are already, uh, time just flew by. Um, uh, I think we have place for, for one last question. Um, is there a Southeast Asia based startup that in your opinion performed exceptionally well during the COVID crisis, though it's not over, 
what have they done right that other startups can look towards to replicate? Maybe busy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But you know, my, my observation would be it's, it's you know, the, the success you're seeing right now is not ba based so much on what you're doing during the COVID crisis. It's the long journey of getting, being ready right now, right? It, it's not a few quick decisions right now, or, or I don't want to, you know, uh, undervalue what you're doing and going through right now and adjusting your cost basis. But uh, like, as you said, a logistics startup, you can't build overnight. Last I think one. you're right, uh, yes, sorry. No, no, please, Nicholas. I think, I think you're right because actually um, the winners, they won't be the one who reacted better, faster. I think they will be the one who have a more intrinsically, uh, more robust business. Uh, more resilient business and, and is because from inception they will have developed something that's uh, that's uh, that's uh, crisis proof I would say uh, the way they operate the way they measure the way the way they, they make decision and so on so there's a lot around uh, product product decision uh, operations and so on that that can actually make a difference it's been really uh, wonderful to have you guys on and if I'm able to just uh take some sound bites. Uh, Nicholas, uh, I I'm sorry, I just can't help myself. Uh, for me, it's around, uh, for you, uh, you know, please don't pitch me, give me reassurance. <laughs> and Andrew, uh, for you, I, I just love how it's around, uh, be fast, be relevant and monetize. Last, something that we didn't have in rehearsals, but uh, is very important is that uh, whilst it looks like uh, we're doing a lot of work here. This is only a fraction of the work that's done in the background to get this all going. And certainly, you know, thank you very much for Gopal for all the planning and the execution, Priyank, and of course, uh, Ash to help us uh, uh, come to this point. And we really look forward to rolling this out. Uh, there was uh, over a hundred participants. Uh, we have participants from Poland, for example, um, the know. US. Uh, so, so that's 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 just absolutely lovely. Do we have a winner uh, in terms of the questions? Uh, a winner in terms of? Well, the, the the lucky door prize. The person that asks the best questions get a gets a free joint consultation with us. Um, well, while while we decide on the winner, maybe we can launch the final poll. Uh, Ash, uh, what would you like as the topics for future webinars so we can start collecting that already um, so that we can uh, stay as relevant because we are, we are back here. Uh, it's, it's poll number two, should be poll number two. Um, we are back in two weeks, um, so we're deciding on the winner. I mean, we had some fantastic questions here. Um, uh, it's, it's hard to pick a winner. What's, what's your take, Chris? Or Nick, put it on you. Which one, which of the questions that, that we read out do you think was the, the best or toughest? Oh, I know that's not fair. <laughs> um, I, I think one of the questions that was upvoted the most, most was actually any guidelines on choosing whether to double down or let go of an investment as a result of the crisis uh, by Joseph. I think that's my personal winner. Yeah, that was a great question. So Joseph, congratulations. You get a, a, a joint consultation with uh, Lars and I on anything uh, that you uh, would like to discuss. So moving right along, we're, we're really pleased to have launched this at Southeast Asia Connect. We are here for our tech entrepreneurs and investors. 
and we are just here to meet the entrepreneurs creating the dreams such as Andrew, get shown the money such as people like Nicholas. And I really hope throughout these webinars that we're all growing to learn. Uh, we're pleased to announce and please stay tuned for more precise details. But uh, in terms of future guests, we have booked Sinu, uh, who is the CEO of Tiger, which is Southeast Asia's largest enterprise AI SaaS company. We also have Ding Peng, who is the head of Singapore for CICC, which is China's largest investment bank and one of the largest investment groups globally with $40 billion. And you have to be living under a rock if you don't know this name, but our very own Gwendolyn Regina Tan, who is an investor, an entrepreneur, media personality, and now uh, very uh, lucky for Facebook, is actually running their VC uh, uh, relationships and programs. Yeah, so we're coming to an end of today's uh, kickoff webinar, Southeast Asia Connect. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you so much, Nicholas, to sharing your insight, wisdom, and experience with us, and especially our audience for tuning in, giving us a, a chance for the first one. And I hope you see you all in uh, two weeks. Um, more in uh, two weeks with Southeast Asia Connect. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you.